Yeah, I'm just so thankful for the Lord. I don't know how people do it without the Lord. What a terrible way to live. But we are blessed to know Him and to know that He knows us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll look at verses 18 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. We'll just read these verses in unison. So everybody reading each verse together, pausing at the punctuation marks. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, the Word of God says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these verses. Uh, These verses challenged me and really changed my life uh, decades ago. And I just pray today that they would have the same effect on others. Help us to glory in the salvation, the beautiful salvation you've given us. And then help us to understand this marvelous truth we look at today from your word. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher, we're the students. Please speak to the hearts as only you can. If someone needs saved, save them. If someone needs encouraged, encourage them. If someone needs provoked, provoke them. Whatever needs done, uh, please do it for thy glory. And then, of course, may we all leave a little bit more like you than when we came. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So these are powerful verses that we read, and we'll get to them in just a bit. Uh, We'll look at a lot of different verses today. We're in our Beauty of Salvation series, and really in this series, reminding us that salvation is not just a theological marvel. It's not just a a miracle of God's grace and love. And it's not simply just an arithmetic of sin and righteousness. But salvation is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get so focused on the fact of salvation that we miss the beauty of it. And my prayer is that through these lessons, we would be reminded of the beautiful salvation that God has given us. In this series, we've covered the topics of conception, the beauty of conception, the beauty of adoption, the beauty of redemption. On one Sunday night, we talked about the beauty of propitiation. And today, we'll look at the doctrine of reconciliation. The beauty of reconciliation. Uh, What is reconciliation, you ask? Uh, The 
Webster's 1828 Dictionary says reconciliation is the act of reconciling parties at variance, renewal of friendship after disagreement or enmity. Uh, And so you think about if you've ever had a problem with someone. Think about uh, a time when you had a problem with a friend or a family member. I want you to think about what that felt like, that just something came between you two. Perhaps it was a violation, perhaps it was a break of trust, perhaps it was a harsh word said, or something done wrong, a trespass against you. And remember how that felt, how that there was just now something between you. Uh, There was no sweetness of fellowship, you didn't look forward to talking to them, you didn't want to spend time with them. A matter of fact, you didn't even want to see them. Uh... And if you're not careful, that can easily turn into bitterness and anger and that hurt begins to fester to the point to where if you even think of them, you begin to feel angry, uneasy, sad, hurt. We live in a world full of sinners, don't we? And we live in a sinful world. The truth is we've all had people sin against us and we've all sinned against others. Reconciliation is that that act whenever you have two people with something between them where that thing, that sin, that iniquity, that trespass between them is removed and now they can come back together in fellowship. If you're going to stay married, you're going to have to have many times of reconciliation, a disagreement, an argument. Uh, a fight, someone gets tired or overwhelmed or stressed and they mishandle situations and now you have something between you. Well, you're going to have to learn how to reconcile. If you're going to have friends of a lifetime, you're going to have to learn how to reconcile. If you're going to be a member of a church for a long time, you're going to have to learn how to reconcile. If you're going to be a pastor of a church for a long time, you're going to have to learn how to reconcile. If you're going to work at the same job for a long time, you're going to have to learn how to reconcile the truth is where there's sin if the relationship is going to be salvaged there must be a reconciliation there must be the act of reconciling two parties after uh, who, who are at variance or the renewal of a friendship after disagreement webster goes on to say in scripture that reconciliation is the means by which sinners are reconciled and brought into a state of favor with god Think about this. What, what does the word reconcile mean? Reconcile, Webster's 1820 Dictionary says, to conciliate anew, to call back into union and friendship uh, the affections which have been alienated, to restore friendship or favor after estrangement, to reconcile or men or parties that have been at variance. So this idea of reconciliation, it's not just something that we experience each day in our lives and that we are very well accustomed to, But there needs to be a reconciliation to take place between you and God if you're going to have a relationship with God. If you want to go to heaven someday, you need to have a reconciliation with God. So let me give you a few thoughts here. We'll look at several verses and then hopefully we'll be excited about the beauty of our salvation through reconciliation. Let me say number one, there's the must of reconciliation. The must of reconciliation. Reconciliation is necessary. Why? Because of sin. Look at Isaiah 59. 
Isaiah chapter 59. We'll come around full circle back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But reconciliation is necessary. Reconciliation with God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. The scripture says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Look at verse 2. Let's read it together. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now I want you to look at me. Sin always separates. Sin always separates. Sin is always a wedge that comes between a relationship. That could be your family. That could be your marriage. That could be friendships. Certainly and mostly between us and a holy God. A holy God cannot countenance sin. He, he, um, sin must be punished. He must turn his back at sin. And so a holy God and a sinful people, there is a separation between them. We cannot commune with God and God cannot commune with us in fellowship while there is sin between us. And it's not that God is not powerful. It's not that God is incapable of hearing. It's that he he cannot, he will not bridge that gap of sin. The sin must be cared for to restore fellowship. Now we know that the Bible says we are all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. Isaiah goes on to say that our righteousnesses are become as filthy rags. That the very best we have to offer a holy God is not only insufficient to earn our way to heaven, God looks at them as filth because every word, every action, every intention is tainted with sin. Sin separates us from God. The Bible talks about our relationship with God before salvation. Ephesians 2.13 uses the word far off. We're far off from God. Ephesians 2.19 uses the words strangers and foreigners. Strangers and foreigners. Strange. Estranged. It's like, like you're from a different planet. Not talking the same language. Not having the same priorities. We are completely and utterly separated from God in our sin. Colossians 1.21 uses the words alienated and enemies. Have you ever been alienated from someone? No access? Don't want to be around you? They treat you like a criminal? And then the Bible says enemies. People say, well, I'm just trying to work my way to heaven. No, when when God looks at us in our sin, we are his enemies. We're on the wrong team. There's no earning favor. There's no work of the flesh by which we can be saved or earn our place in heaven. There's no amount of money that can be given. There's no holy water that can wash sins away. There's no church or some priest somewhere that has the power to speak your sins out of existence. There are sins between us and a holy God. And these sins require a reconciliation. Sin 
separates from us and God. The Bible is very clear that the wages of sin are physical death and spiritual death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. People say, well, I'm not a sinner. Well, I, I can tell you're a sinner one way. Why? You're getting older. You know, the, the, the uh, process of aging is simply the effects of sin setting into our flesh. The process of corruption has begun. Man, I'm, I'm losing hair faster than I, I can get it. And I'm thinking about joining the hair club for men or something. I'm not sure what's going on. And uh, I'm hurting in places I didn't even know I had 10 years ago. I mean, this process of aging, you know, your skin used to be all this and that, using Noxema and oil of Olay, and now it's just like, hey, forget it, just, just give up. And not that I use those things, my mom did, and my sisters, uh, although maybe I should have. Maybe that was my mistake. Uh, you know, there, there's no beauty in a bottle that will stop the process of aging completely. Uh, corruption sets in. The process of sin begins to take our, our bodies and destroy this body of flesh as soon as we're born. And one of these days it will end in my body, in your body, laying in a casket. The wages of sin is death, physical death. But after that wait, the Bible says there's something called the second death. That's the death of the soul. See, when you were born, when your parents conceived you, God gave you the spark of life and you have an eternal soul that will live forever somewhere. And that eternal soul, that part of you that's hearing me right now, it's thinking and understands and is self-aware and aware of surroundings and you can think and process and you can feel and you can have intention and, and will. That part of you is going to live forever somewhere. And it'll either live forever with God if you're born again, if your sins are forgiven, if you're reconciled to God. We get to go to heaven and, and live forever with, with God in heaven. But wait, if we're not saved, if we're not reconciled, and that sin is upon us, if we die in our sins, the Bible's very clear that the second death is that soul, that eternal part of you that's going to live forever. It can't go to heaven. Why? Because it died in its sin. It's tainted with sin and Sin separates from God. And so hell is the eternal separation of the unbelieving soul. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. Boy, that's a pretty rough crowd, isn't it? You say, oh, preacher, that's not me. Oh, but there's one more sin in this list that hits all of us. And it says, And all liars. You ever told a lie? Oh, we're tainted, my friend. There's not a person under the sound of my voice that's not a sinner. It's not been poisoned with sin. The Bible says, And all liars shall have their park in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is the place of the dead, the condemned. A lake of fire where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Eternal torment, pain, and suffering. Why? Because of sin. Sin separates us from God. 
Job lamented that there was not a daysman or a mediator between him and God. Look at Job chapter 9. Job is a book before Psalms. Job chapter 9. Job 9 and look at verse 32. He's talking about his, his complaint with God. Job 9.32, For he, God, is not a man as I am, that I should answer him and that we should come together in judgment. See, Job said, this is what I would normally do. Normally, if I have something between me and another man, I'll just go to him and get it figured out. I'll go to him and speak to him about it and try to work it out, which, by the way, that's still biblical today. But Job said, God's not a man. I can't just go see him. I can't go visit him. I can't look him in the eye. I, can't, I don't know how to have this conversation with God. In verse 33, neither is there any daysman betwixt us or between us that might lay his hand upon us both. So a daysman was an old English word for a mediator, someone that would come between an arbitrator, a mediator, someone that would take the, the one on this side and the one on this side and bring them together and help them overcome their differences so they could come in agreement and Job said, I have no daysman. I don't know how to make this right with God. But I'm thankful we know who the daysman is. We know who the mediator is. So he said, number one, the must of reconciliation. And then number two, let's consider the man of reconciliation. The man of reconciliation. There is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 5. We see the man of reconciliation. We do have a daysman. We do have someone that can come between us and God and in the place of our sin and grab hold of us and take hold of God and, and somehow make right and, and, and bring our sin and the holiness of God together to where our sin is canceled out and we can be holy in the sight of God. The man of reconciliation. Romans chapter 5, and look at verse 10. The Bible says, For if when we were enemies, oh, look at that, enemies. You say, no, preacher, I'm okay. I don't need Jesus. I don't need religion. God and I are just fine. No, sir, no, ma'am. If you're not saved, if you're not born again, you are the enemy of God. You are the enemy of God. You're not in the same family. You're not in the same team. And we see in the book of Revelation that eventually there's going to come a day when God crushes his enemies. Let me assure you, you don't want to be an enemy of God. For if when we were enemies, here he's talking to the saved people. Thank God if we're saved, we're no longer enemies. Why? We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. See, we've been reconciled to God. How? The man of reconciliation. The son of God himself, Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who is that daysman, that mediator to come between us. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, great book, book of Hebrews. Look at verse 15. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's you and I. You know, the truth is, folks, if you're here today and you're not saved, or you can hear my voice and you're not saved, the truth is you, you fear death. 
And if you don't fear death and you're not born again, then, then that's the height of foolishness. But the truth is, humanity is scared of death. We fear death. They're worried about it. A Christian doesn't want to die, but neither do they fear death. Uh, I don't want to take the next train, but I'm glad I know where I'm going when my time comes to leave the station. And so, uh, through Christ, He delivers us from the fear of death. We're no longer in bondage to the fear of death. Look at verse 16. For verily, He took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. He's saying that He became a man through the virgin birth. He took on the form of a man. He took on the flesh of humanity. Why? Verse 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Why? To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For that he himself had suffered being tempted, he was able to succor them that are tempted. Folks, we see the man of reconciliation, the the Lord Jesus Christ became that daysman between a holy God and a sinful people. He became that mediator in that he took upon himself the robe of flesh. He was born of the virgin. He lived a perfect life here on this earth. He was the son of God and he was the son of man. All of man, yet all of God. He was that, that one, the only one that could come between man and God and bring them back together. Why? To reconcile them. To take away the sin that was between them and renew a friendship and a relationship. We see the must of reconciliation, the man of reconciliation. Let's consider the manner of reconciliation. You know, not only was there a man, Jesus, to make things right, but he had to have a way to make things right. I'll never forget a conversation I had years ago. There was someone in our church and... and uh, Nobody's privy to this conversation, but, but me and the person. And they just started having a little trouble and just started acting out a little bit. And I, I had to uh, uh, talk to them. This is years ago. Had to talk to them, and I brought them into the, uh, the office. Let's go ahead and pray. They, they know what's going on, and Carolyn's been struggling, and Mark knows what to do, and everything's okay. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thanks for... Bringing uh, Carolyn here today, we pray that you'd help this episode to pass and that uh, they would be okay. The doctors have looked at her and, and they know what to do and it's just a, a terrible situation to witness, but uh, she's safe and okay. So I pray that you'd give them wisdom, comfort their hearts, and then help us all to have a heart to pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen. And years ago, I was talking to this person, and, and they were acting out and really saying some, some pretty terrible things and uh, spreading some rumors. And so I called them in my office, and I was talking to them, and it was really coming to a head. And uh, this person finally admitted, yeah, I said those things, and, and yes, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said those things. And, and, uh, but then I went through the biblical process, and I said, I feel like that that you're just upset with me, like, like that I've wronged you somehow. And I said, I said, if you tell me what I've done to you, let me apologize and, and make this right. And they said, no, that's, that's no. And I said, uh, how can I make this right? And I'll never forget. I, how can I make this right? 
and they sat across from me and said, you can't. And I said, but that's not biblical. That's not a Christ-like spirit. We have to learn to make things right. I'm coming to you saying, I want, if I've done something, tell me what it is. I want to make this right. And they said, no, you can't make it right. And I thought, boy, what a terrible thing to have a desire to reconcile, but nobody gives you a way to reconcile. Uh, years later, I had a conversation with a, another person, and we came to an impasse and a similar situation. And I said, uh, I, said, I said, how can we make this right? How can we fix this? And they said, I don't know. And I gave some options, and I said, what about this, and what about this, and what about this? And they said, no, none of that's going to work. And I just remember looking at them and saying, but I called their name, and I said, you're not making a way of reconciliation. When we had something between God, God made a way. We know how to fix it. I said, I said if you don't give, and I, I, I told this person, I said, whether this is with your spouse or a family member or a church member or a pastor, if you look at someone and say, I have a problem, but I'm not going to give you a path to fix it, that's not biblical. And I said, I don't know what to tell you. And I said all that to say, I'm glad that God gave us a way to make things right. He didn't just tell us that there's a problem. He just didn't say, here's the person that's going to fix it. He said, here are the steps you take to make things right. And we call this the manner of reconciliation. I'm thankful that God made a way of salvation. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I've had this conversation many times in marriage counseling, looking at a spouse and saying, you have to... I know you're hurt, but you have to give them a path to make this right. And sometimes if there's no path, no matter how humble someone is, no matter how sorry they are, no matter how much they desire forgiveness, there's no doorway to forgiveness. There's no pathway. But I'm thankful that God made a way of salvation. Ephesians chapter six, or chapter 2 and verse 6, the Bible says, look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we were dead, and now we're sitting back with him. He made a way of salvation. There's a way for us to be made right with God. There's a way for us to be reconciled and forgiven. Now look at verse 16. What is this way? And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, read the next three words with me, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And so the manner of reconciliation is the cross of Jesus Christ. We see the must of reconciliation. Sin has separated it between us and God. And we, we cannot have fellowship. We cannot live with Him eternally. But there is a daysman. There's a Savior. The, the man of reconciliation. The Lord Jesus Christ. And then God gives us a path. The manner of reconciliation. And that is the cross. If you want to go to heaven, it's the way of the cross that leads home. We need to go to the cross of Calvary. The cross of of Jesus Christ, that place called Golgotha, the place of the skull where the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, hung between heaven and earth, nailed to a cross, not for his own sins, but for yours and mine. He did nothing wrong. 
He didn't have to die for his own sin. But he was that substitutionary lamb that had been pictured countless times from the very foundation of the world. It was the innocent giving his life for the evil. The sinless giving his life for the sinner. And see, the cross is the manner of salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, He took our sin upon Him. He paid for that sin. They put Him in the grave. And three days later, He rose again from the dead, proving that He was the Son of God and that He had power over death and hell. And anybody in the world that will trust Jesus Christ to save them, they'll look at the cross and they'll say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe He died on the cross to pay for my sins, and that He was buried and He rose again. And I believe that He'll save me and forgive my sin, just like He said He would. The Bible says that's the manner of reconciliation. Let's look at the context of this verse. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes, see that phrase, far off, are made nigh or close by the blood of Christ. See, it's the blood of Christ that cancels sin, that pays for sin. The sin debt is paid. We were far off, but now through the blood we've been made close. We've been reconciled through Christ. Verse 14, For He, Christ, is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. See, we were enemies with God, but now we have peace with God. Verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Verse 17, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through Him, that's Christ, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. You see what happened here? All these illustrations, all these metaphors, that you were far off and now you're close. You were strangers, but now you're family. You were aliens, but now you're fellow citizens. It's the the cross of Jesus Christ and the shed blood of Jesus Christ that allows the daysman, the mediator, to stand between God and man. And he paid for the sins of sinful man. And he gave mankind his righteousness when they believe in him. The righteousness of Christ is placed upon their account. So when God looks at man, he doesn't see sin, he sees my son. And if you're here today and you've been saved, the beauty of salvation is we who were so far away from God, inconceivably far away from God, no hope of ever gaining access to him on our own. Jesus Christ came between and made the way for us to come back and be one with the Father. He's now our Father. Christ is our Savior. The Holy Spirit's our comforter. Heaven's our home. The church is our family on earth. The Bible is His Word. 
The list goes on and on and on. Why? Because of reconciliation. You see, the manner of reconciliation is the cross. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in in earth or things in heaven, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death, he died for our sins, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Isn't that beautiful? See, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees holy and unblameable and unreprovable. I'm thankful for the shed blood of Christ that covers us and paid for our sin. Let me ask you this morning, if you're, here this, if you're here under the sound of my voice and you've never been saved, you've never been born again, there's no church that can get you to heaven. There's no good act. There's no sacrament, no sacrifice. It's by putting your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what will get you to heaven, give you access to God. Let me say this. You say, oh, preacher, I'm saved. I, I, I know all this. Then why do half the time Christians sit around like a bump, in a, log, on a bump on a log, yawning about their salvation, taking the glorious gift, the unspeakable gift of salvation for granted? When's the last time we went to God and we recounted all he's done for us? We realized how far away we were and now all the benefits we have now. When's the last time that your salvation moistened your eye with a tear or your breath caught a little bit or you had a little bit of emotion about the fact that, man, I was so lost. I was so far away from God. And now I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Now I can talk to God anytime I want. When's the last time that moved you? And I'm talking to you young people that grew up in Christian homes too. You say, well, I was never a drug dealer. I was never a this or a that. You were as far away from God because of your sin. You were born in sin. And the, the, the little transgressions that you think that you did, well, that's little compared to this. No, they all would have sent you to hell. The, the every disobedience, every bit of rebellion, every harsh word, it all would have sent you to hell. We can't look around at each other saying, well, he was, he was further away from God than I was, and he was further away from my God. If that's the game you want to play, that's fine. But the truth is, we were all going to go to hell because of sin. But that reconciling, that reconciliation brought us all back with God through faith in Christ. Isn't it wonderful to be saved? Let me give you a couple final thoughts. Number four, the mandate of reconciliation. Look at Matthew chapter 5, and I'll just mention this. But this may be one of the most important things I'm going to say this morning if you're already saved. Matthew chapter 5, we see the mandate of reconciliation. Now that we have been reconciled, we are commanded to reconcile. Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 24. 
Look at verse 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come offer thy gift. This is a powerful scripture because Jesus was talking to people who valued the spiritual things, but they didn't value their relationships with one another. And they could be hypocritical and mean and angry and harsh to their neighbors, or they could know that somebody had ought against them. Maybe they needed to apologize. Maybe they just needed to be like God and seek out a friend, a brother, a sister, a family member, a co-worker and say, look, I just feel like there's something between us. And, and are we okay, or is, is there something that we need to talk about? Jesus taught them, before you come and offer your spiritual gift, make sure that you're right with the people in your life. And in 2019, if we're not careful, we'll get so focused on the spiritual that we'll begin to neglect our responsibilities to the people in our lives and there comes a time when God says, time out. Time out. You need to go fix that with so-and-so. Or you need to do your work of reconciliation with so-and-so. You know, the Bible's very clear. Matthew 18 says, if, if you know somebody's got ought against you, or excuse me, if you have uh, ought against someone, you go and talk to them. You go and talk to them. Don't talk to everybody else. You go and talk to them. And then if you can't work that out, there is a, a way to continue working that out. And by the way, if the other person refuses to reconcile, then they're actually punished for their refusal to make things right. Does it make sense to you that with as much trouble as God went to to make us right with Him, that it's important to him that we're right with each other? Does that make sense to you? It's important to him. And so the Bible says, leave thy gift. We get right vertically with God, and then God tells us to get right horizontally with man and the people in our lives. Let me say this. You can't be wrong with man and right with God. This was hard for me to take as a young Christian. This was hard for me to take. But I was at a youth meeting and a preacher said, you can't be wrong with your parents and right with God. And I said, I don't believe that in my heart. I said, I don't believe that. I was reading my Bible a ton. I was praying over 45 minutes a day. I had changed everything for God. I was a soul winner. But I had, I had a lot of tension with my parents and I wasn't, I wasn't a very submissive uh, a teenager at that point. And, and I just... I was trying to serve God, and the preacher said, you can't be wrong with your parents and right with God. And I said, I don't believe that. But over the course of the message, God convinced me. And I went to the altar and said, God, help me be right with my parents. So you can't be wrong with your spouse and right with God. You can't be wrong with your neighbor. Now, let me, let me qualify that. You can't keep people from being wrong with you but you can make sure you're doing your part to make things right. Let me say it this way. I don't have any enemies. That doesn't mean that people don't see me as an enemy or treat me like an enemy. I personally 
don't see anybody in my life as an enemy. I don't have any enemies. You know who the enemy is? The devil. Now, you might be the person at that moment causing me the most trouble, but you're not my enemy, the devil is, because he's trying to hurt both of us. Does that make sense to you? And so I can't make you be right with me, but I can go to you and say, hey, are we okay? And you're going to have people in this life that, man, they don't want to talk to you, and they might think you're the devil. And they might, they might do all kinds of things and say all types of horrible things. But you, sir, you, ma'am, have a responsibility to do what you can. And I often tell people, if they say, well, I have a problem with someone. Go talk to them. Well, that's not going to go well. And I'll often say a statement like this. You can't control their response, but God expects you to do what he told you. And if you are fulfilling your mandate of reconciliation, then you leave the rest up with God. And God will work on the other person. Does that make sense to you? There ought to be nobody in your life that you are bitter towards, that you have hatred towards, that you have malice towards, that you're just like, mm, and I can't believe they did that. And I'm going to, I mean, all of that, you've got to get rid of all of that because all of that is going to hinder your relationship, not only with God, but with everybody else. And it's going to hurt you and your family. Because that easily turns into bitterness and begins seeping into the other relationships of your life. Amen? There's a mandate of reconciliation. If God worked so hard to get me right with Him, then I ought to fulfill my responsibilities trying to be right with the people in my life. Now the Bible also says, as we said earlier, uh, live peaceably with all men, but there's also, they have to live peaceably. So I'm doing, I am living peaceably. I can't control what's in your heart. I can't control what's in their heart, but I know what's in mine. And there's such a freedom that comes with that. Now, I'm not saying that you just make a decision. Okay, that's gone. No, you're going to have to work at it. And you're going to have to learn that anytime bitterness or anger or frustration or malice or envy or jealousy, all those things rear themselves in your, in your heart, you attack it like a plague. You seek and destroy it. I do not give myself permission to feel that way. I do not give myself permission to think of them that way. That's not who I want to be. Let me say lastly, the ministry of reconciliation. Look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Some of you wish I had just skipped that point. Strike that from the record. <laughs> no, that might be one of the most important things we say. Unforgiveness is killing Christianity. Because those who've been forgiven refuse to forgive. And it's a sin. It's an absolute sin. All right, the ministry of reconciliation. We read this earlier. The Bible says very clearly, look at verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what does that mean? So the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So let's keep reading. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So this ministry of reconciliation is telling people that God was in Christ reconciling the world, not imputing their trespasses. So we basically go in the world and preach the gospel. 
When you share the gospel with someone, that's the ministry of reconciliation. When you pass out a tract, that's the ministry of reconciliation. When you preach at the nursing home or the jails or the prisons or the, the junior churches or you're out on the street or you're knocking on doors or at work, you talk to your, 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 your friend or you're, you're at the grocery store and you, you speak to the person who's checking you out. Oh, that's the ministry of reconciliation. We are pointing to the fact that there is something between them and God, but that God has provided a mediator, a daysman, and Jesus Christ can reconcile them back to God. Now look at the last verse there, the next verse. Now then, verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. So an ambassador is a representative. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead or in Christ's place, be ye reconciled to God. So as an ambassador for Christ, we do what Christ would do if he was walking the earth. So that means I go to people in whatever format I'm in, whatever opportunity the Lord gives me. And if those come organically, wonderful. If not, we make them through scheduled soul winning times and outreach times. But we go to people in the place of God doing what Christ would do if he was here today. And that is Christ would go to people trying to reconcile them to the Father. So you and I have the wonderful opportunity to go to people on behalf of Christ and show them that they can be right with God. They can go to heaven when they die. They can have their sins forgiven. They can have peace and closeness and intimacy and a relationship with the God of heaven. Why? Look at verse 21. And I love this verse. For he, that's God, hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, that's Christ. So again, that's the salvation we're talking about. We can be reconciled because Jesus Christ, the mediator, took our sin upon him and gave us his righteousness when we believe in him. We have the ministry of reconciliation. You say, preacher, I'm just not, I'm just not outgoing. I just have a hard time talking about spiritual things. Let me ask you a question. Are we ever more like Christ than when we're trying to reconcile the lost to our holy God? See, salvation was the heartbeat of Christ. It's why he came. It's the reason he was here. And I propose to you that there are going to be few times in your life when you are more like Jesus than when you're practicing the ministry of reconciliation. I beg you in Christ's stead, would you be reconciled to God? Would you accept Christ as your Savior? In soul winning, we become the human instrument of mediation. We point the loss to the great mediator. And we ask them if they want to be made right with God, have peace with God. Well, this is the beauty of reconciliation. It's a huge doctrine in the Bible. We discuss the must of reconciliation. It's necessary. The man of reconciliation, Jesus Christ. The manner of reconciliation, the cross. The mandate, let's be right with the people in our lives. And then the ministry, let's go tell other people they can be made with, right with God if they believe the gospel. And this is a, a beautiful truth. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Father, thanks for the opportunity to preach this morning your word. I pray that it would uh, help some people that it would encourage us and that we would leave here with a, a, an appreciation for the beauty of salvation and also a, a desire to 
be right with the people in our lives and then also to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation, telling others, help us grab tracks on the way out and purpose in our heart this week to talk to some people and ask you for boldness and opportunity and create opportunities through our scheduling of soul winning times and ministry times, Lord, but thank you for the great truth of reconciliation. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here this morning not sure you're saved, why in the world would you want to stay at odds with God? It just doesn't make any sense. And God has provided a way of salvation. Perhaps you're saved, but you're, you just feel cold inside. You feel a little bit dead inside. Maybe it's time you revisited the cross and realized how far away you were and how close God's given you the opportunity to be. Maybe there's some people in your life that you're just not right with. And the truth is you're not even really trying. Uh, you haven't fulfilled your responsibility trying to make things right. Uh, Probably everybody in the room has people in their lives where there's something between you, but you've really tried. I mean, you've done everything you can, and you're just leaving it with God. And that's, that's part of life. But have you done your responsibility to reconcile? And then are we involved in the ministry of reconciliation? May we all be soul conscious this week, telling people about the Lord, offering them salvation. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar's open. If the Lord spoke to your heart. Is the beauty of reconciliation.